This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I want to be the 100-year-old great-grandma riding her bike to the farmer's market. You know, I'm going to be that lady. That's my goal. And so I might be gray, but I'll be running track with the kids. I want to live an active, long lifestyle, and I do believe it's 100% possible. Hello and welcome to the Llama Podcast. I'm Peter Bowes and Llama, Live Long and Master Aging is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This is our second podcast from the podcast movement gathering in Anaheim, California. Thanks, by the way, for all of the positive reaction to our first episode, talking about longevity and what it takes to live a long and healthy life. Well, today I'm joined by Alison Melody, co-host of the Food Heals podcast. Alison is a filmmaker, entrepreneur and owner of Holistic Voice, which is a multimedia production company. Alison, welcome to the Llama Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great event. And one of the nice things about this week is that you get to meet like-minded people. Yes. And it's a kind of a double whammy for me interviewing you because we're interested in the same things. I know. And we're both doing podcasts about it. Yeah. And I listened to um, the story you did about the Blue Zones in Loma Linda, and I was absolutely blown away. And I love that those kind of topics and talking about how are people living to 100? What are their secrets? What are they doing differently? Yeah, I mean, it is fascinating. That was a documentary that I made for the BBC a couple of years ago. And you're right, I spent a few days in Loma Linda meeting the people who live there. And for anyone who doesn't know, this is, as you say, Alison, one of the blue zones, so-called blue zones. Someone with a map one day put a a blue ring around certain parts of the world because they were the longest lived. It'll be interesting to get your read on why these people live much longer than most Americans, eight to ten years. For me, there are three components, their diet, their exercise... And their spirituality. Yes. And I think it's so important that are you living the life that makes you happy? And so what I recognize in the people in Loma Linda is they're happy because they have that community, because they're exercising and keeping their bodies healthy and in check. And if we're living lives that make us miserable, whether it is working at jobs that we do not like, or whether it is not spending enough time with the people we love because we live far away from them or something like that, that is when that opens up for disease to be able to, to develop. And so I believe that there are people, you know, there are people that smoke their whole life and don't die of cancer. Why? I think it's because they're so happy. And that might sound a little woo-woo and crazy, but <laughs> and it really is controversial how I feel. as well. <laughs> yes. Maybe they have, and I think there is such a thing as the longevity gene yes. that seems to apply no matter what you do in life, if you have that longevity gene it seems to surpass all the bad things essentially right. that you can do to your body and you still live a, a long and seemingly healthy life. For my reasoning, it doesn't excuse doing some of those sure. bad things. I wouldn't start to smoke just because I thought I had a longevity gene. And I would never recommend that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So let's, Alison, talk about you and how you got into all of this, sure. and especially the podcast, but your interest in, in human longevity and especially food and the healing elements of food. 
Yeah, well, um, I have my podcast, Food Heals, as you know, and that's really to teach people about nutrition. And then the fact that the body has the innate ability to heal itself if we give it the tools that it needs to do so. What's happening is, unfortunately, we're in these toxic environments, we're eating toxic food, and we're just bombarded by toxins at all times. And at some point, our body goes, we can't handle all of this. And so it creates disease. And so the reason that I got into this was because I had no awareness of health, none whatsoever. I didn't care about it. It wasn't a focus of mine. And um, I was in my early 20s, and my mother had had uh, multiple sclerosis for most of her life. In fact, it, it it started when I was born, and it got progressively worse until um, it was so bad that she had lost a lot of the feeling in her hands and feet. So this is devastating. You know, she's a young woman. She shouldn't be um, walking in a, on a walker at such a young age. And then she got the cancer diagnosis. And she was taking so many pharmaceutical drugs. And I believe that her body was unable to handle all of the drugs that she was on. Um, and they were interacting with each other in ways that, you know, hadn't been studied. And so when she got cancer, I still had an aware, I had still had no awareness of health and healing. And I said to the doctor, does nutrition matter? Does it matter what she puts in her body? Which seems like an easy answer now. Yes. Do you know what the doctor said? He said, no, it does not matter. And looking back, I don't know if he didn't know or if he just thought it's too late, so it doesn't matter. I'll never know the answer to that question. But I think it's very irresponsible for a doctor to answer a question that way when we now know the healing power of nutrition and that you can reverse and prevent disease through nutrition and all of these alternative medicines. And so after my mom passed away, um, I started reading and looking into alternative modalities of healing because I thought, you know, the Western model failed my mother. And, you know, I'm not trying to place blame on drugs or pharmaceuticals, but I really felt that there were no other options ever presented to us. And that's the tragedy. And so I started looking into nutrition and diet and even exercise and all of these things that I didn't know what they were, acupuncture and chiropractic that sounded foreign to me that are now a regular part of my life. Um, And I started talking to my dad and saying, you know what, maybe you should eat a little better. Maybe you should stop drinking so much. Uh, Maybe you should stop smoking. And, you know, he said, thanks, honey. Great. He pretended to drink the garlic smoothie concoctions that I would make him (laughs) that I told him were going to heal him. And, you know, um, he didn't want to live his life the way that I wanted him to live his life. So that was a big lesson for me as well. I think and, it's, it's the, the way that different people define living your life. Yes. And for some people, it is doing those things that now for you seem and feel so abhorrent. Yes. And, and, it, and it's, not, it's no fault of their own in most cases. My dad didn't know better, so he couldn't do better. And so he ended up getting cancer as well and passing away. And so by the time I was 25, I have no brothers and sisters. I was basically an orphan. And I know at 25, we're supposed to be adults, but it felt like I was a little girl who just lost mommy and daddy. And so I dedicated my life to this because I realized that had my parents known better, then maybe perhaps they could have done better. And I personally will never get cancer because I lead the most holistic, healthy life that I can. And if I do, I do believe that I have the tools to reverse it. Do you, you believe that? You I, I do believe really that. You really don't think you will get cancer because of your lifestyle now? Yes, I do. And 
check with me in <laughs> 50 years and we'll find out. Well, I, I always say that as well, because I, I do things maybe not quite as holistically as you, but certainly in terms as, of diet and, and exercise. And the goal is to live long. Yes. And, and it, it is to stave off the potential of getting disease in my 60s, 70s and, and 80s, that typical decline into old age. It right. is, is to push back the time, basically to extend the health span. Yeah. And so these were big lessons for me. And so I realized that our levels of toxicity vary. And it does depend on our genes, as you were saying earlier, how we respond to toxicity. So some people can eat, sit there and eat, you know, three burgers and be thin and look healthy, right? And then there's someone else who can't do that because their body doesn't have the power to detoxify. And I'm not saying eating three burgers is healthy, and nor was I saying smoking is healthy. I'm just saying that everyone is born differently. We come into this world with different genetics. We have different different environmental factors that may affect our health at a young age. That's why there are these cancer clusters. People are drinking toxic water and things like that. So we all come into it in a different way. And so our body responds differently. But what everyone can benefit from is eating more fruits and vegetables. You can't deny that. (laughs) And so that's a good place to start. Yeah. And it is going back to what you said a second ago in terms of the doctor's response. I've had many doctors sitting opposite me, cardiologists and other Mm -hmm. specialities, cancer doctors, saying they may be hard. 30 minutes of nutrition education during all of the years they they spent training to be a doctor right which is quite shocking yes and it shouldn't be that way and so when i go to a medical professional now i go to integrative doctors naturopaths and functional medicine doctors who have all been had many years of nutrition as well as you know western medicine training and so they're able to really look at the body as a whole and not treat the symptoms of disease but actually treat the cause of disease and come from a holistic perspective to heal your body not just mask symptoms so you don't feel them because that's not a cure that's not healing so you had this experience with your parents Mm -hmm. how has that influenced your choices as you have moved forward with your life and especially developed your career doing what you do now yeah I mean it's totally become my career to do this because it's all I want to do and all I want to talk about Um, But the way it's affected my lifestyle, you know, I now have a daily meditation practice, I have a daily exercise practice, and I eat a plant based diet. And I know it's not for everyone, but it's exactly what works for me. And I thrive on that diet. You know, I used to wake up, and I would wake up and I would go, Oh, another day. I'm so tired. And I couldn't get out of bed. And I wasn't even a coffee person that needed the coffee. There was nothing that could get rid of this constant fatigue that I felt. And not that I'm perfect. Now, you know, if I stay up too late, I'll get the fatigue. But because of my diet, exercise, and I believe my meditation practice, I've now gotten rid of that. So I wake up full of excitement and joy, and I'm so excited to start my day. So take me through an average day in terms of what you do and those special components that help you feel as you do from a a diet and exercise perspective? Sure. So I try to be really consistent about a few things and then some things slide. But I'll go go through my ideal Because we're all human, as they say. Yes, exactly. So I think um, one one thing that I learned for myself was I used to wake up and immediately check email, check social media, things like that. And a lot of people are doing that because we feel like we have to be on all the time and check these things. Well, um, one podcaster here actually said this to me, John Lee Dumas. He said, do you know what email is? I said, what? He said, OPP other people's problems. And that really stuck with me. Why am I going to wake up and deal with other people's problems, right? And so for me, I want to wake up and I want to make sure that I get some meditation in and get light exercise in before my day begins, before that cell phone even 
comes on. I don't sleep with a cell phone in my room because I'm scared of the EMFs. That's a whole other topic. Um, but I do. I put it in another room, and I don't check it for at least the first 30 minutes, if not an hour after I wake up, because that is my precious special time to do what I need to do for myself. So it might be, go ahead. And what time do you wake up? It is different every day. I will not <laughs> lie. I'm not. That, in... That's for, for some people one of the rules in terms of getting enough sleep and yes. regimenting that part of your day is getting up at the same time. I'm not a regimented person. I'm not the person that wakes up at 6 a.m. and makes their bed and has it all planned out. I'm definitely um, more of a person who I make a plan for the next day, the night before, but it's not consistent every day. But I do when I wake up, whatever time that may be, and I'm not an early riser, so it might be 8 or 9 a.m. And then I wake up and I do my hour. That is just my time. And it's meditation, a little exercise, something light. I don't do anything hardcore in the morning. My body just doesn't respond well. I can do hardcore later if I want to. So that must involve quite a lot of discipline. You're a late riser, maybe eight, nine o'clock in the morning. A lot of people, especially in business, and and you're in business, are are getting up quite early and enthusiastic and they're firing off those emails and expecting immediate responses. You're saying, no, I'm going to do it on my timescale. You'll have to wait till 10, 10 10.30 in the morning to get your first response from me. Yes, You're taking control. I am taking control and that's what works for me. And when I was in a different space in my career and I did have um, clients that I did have to respond to immediately then I, I did it differently then. And I wasn't as happy and I wasn't as energetic during the day because I was starting my day that way, whether it was I have to get up for a conference call and go straight from the bed to the phone and be turn it on. And that wasn't working for me. And so now if I do have to do a call or something like that, I do try to s- schedule it um, later in the day when I'm my best self and I can give fully and be fully present. When I do my podcast interviews, Susie, my co-host, is the same way. She's also a late riser. So we don't really do morning interviews. We do afternoon and evening interviews because that's when we feel our creative fire. And everyone's got that creative fire at a different time. For some people, they have it at 6 a.m. For some people, they have it at 10 p.m. And Susie and I happen to fall into that later category. So you start the day on your agenda. Yes. You do your meditation. You ease into the day. Yes. And then what do you do? You eat breakfast? What's the first time you actually consume something? So I usually do practice intermittent fast, fasting, which means I don't eat until 12 p.m. Um, and it may vary. Uh, let's say there are some days I, I work on film sets, so some days that's totally thrown out the window. But on a general day when I wake up and I don't have a, someone else's agenda or something like that, um, I won't eat till 12 p.m. And that's when I have my first green smoothie. And so I put lots of fruits and veggies and lots of powders, all my little powders that I love to put in there to just amplify the nutrition. That's the first thing I eat. So you're on a 16-8 diet? It's, it definitely varies, like I said. And I'm not the person that sticks to it, but I try to eat between 12 and 7, 12 and 8 you know, unless I'm on vacation or no one can be that regimented. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, 16, 8, 17, 7. And that's how I thrive. But I know other people that must have breakfast as soon as they wake up. And if that's how they thrive, that's what they should do for their body. So don't take it as health advice. Do what works for you. Try it out. Does intermittent fasting work or do I need to eat first thing? See what your body responds best to. Actually, I used to be just like that. And I I firmly believe you can change. And I think you can change when you understand that another way is perhaps better for you and that you can adapt and you don't have to eat. And I I agree with you totally. Some people have to eat straight away. But and and I used to be like that. But Mm -hmm. I today, for example, didn't eat till 12 o'clock apart from coffee during the morning. Coffee Uh is the thing that keeps me going. Sure. But the the need to eat food, Mm -hmm. I can wait a few hours. And I think I 
I do feel better for it yeah. and understand the potential long-term benefits as well. Yeah, and you know, I don't know the stats. You might be able to speak to them better, but there is a lot to say about longevity and this intermittent fasting things. There are people that fast for 24 hours, things like that. I don't really do that. And when I have done it, I always still drink green juice because I always need some sort of fuel and nutrition. But the people that are doing this are living longer lives, and these are what the studies are coming out now to say. And I think that's really fascinating. And it also it gets your body into this fat-burning mode and it's something that you can't get to if you don't fast for long enough. You know, breakfast is break fast because we fasted all night long. So if you are eating at 10 o'clock at night and then waking up and eating at 7 a.m., you haven't fasted very long. And that's when your body is detoxing, right? And so we want to give our body as much time as it needs to detox before we start eating again. So you have your delightful sounding smoothie. Just, just You mentioned the powders. Yes. Uh, <laughs> pull the veil back a little bit. What, what sort of are you talking? protein powders or what, what kind I have, of thing? Um, I have some protein. I have some green. I use the Organifi greens. And these are plant proteins? Yeah, they're all plant-based. I don't do whey or anything like that um, because my diet is plant-based and um, that's what works for me. Uh, so I also do maca. I'll do cacao nibs. I've got so many powders. You wouldn't eat. I, 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 and I just put them all in and it just it makes me feel like I'm getting all the nutrients that I need. And I think it's really important for me, especially when you eat a vegan diet, you're, you get deficient in things like B12. And so I do a lot of B12 supplements supplementation and things like that. So, you know, I've also been to a functional medicine doctor who has looked at exactly what my body needs. She's She did a blood test, a hair test, spit test, a stool test, all of those things, discovered what I was deficient in and then gave me the supplements that I needed. So those go in the smoothies as well, right? And so that's what works for me. So if you are li- looking, to, you know, what supplements should I take? Well, it's very individualized. And let's just backtrack a little bit. You mentioned, obviously, you don't use whey protein because it's animal derived. What is your thinking? And I think everyone has different understanding and different reasoning for having a plant-based diet. So what is yours? Is is it an understanding of the science or, or is it broader than that? Um, I have a few reasons. Um, the number one, the reason I started was because I discovered, and there are so many books and documentaries about this that can speak better than I can, but that it was the most anti-cancer diet out there and that people were preventing and even reversing cancer with a plant-based diet. And I've interviewed those people and I've met those people. And so I, for me, I completely believe it. Um, you should research for your own if you're listening. And then the second reason is I think that factory farming is one of the most destructive forces on the earth today that's destroying our environment. And if you eat um, plants every day that you eat a vegan diet, even if you're not vegan, you save one animal per day. And that really resonates with me because I'm an animal lover. And at one point I just decided, you know, I'm such an animal lover. How can I still have them on my plate? And so it was kind of a multifactorial approach where it was a little bit animal activism and a lot health. A lot of books and a lot of films about veganism, about vegetarianism, Mm -hmm. about factory farming. Is there one that you would most recommend to people, let's say in terms of films? I have so many. Um, The one that just came out called What the Health by Kip and Keegan. I was going to mention that. That, That's proven to be very controversial. I know. That one just came out. Um, They did one before that called Calspiracy. Um, there's Forks Over Knives. A really good one that I actually I don't think is controversial is Fat Sick and Nearly Dead with Joe Cross, where he 
reversed his autoimmune disease, chronic urticaria, and lost hundreds of pounds um, just by green juicing and then eating a mostly plant-based diet. And I've interviewed him and he says, you know, I eat this plant-based diet, I eat all these green juice, and then once in a while I have a steak. And that's what works for him. But he was able to reverse chronic autoimmune disease. And if you see, you can see the transition in the film, which is really beautiful. Yeah, people, vegetarians, uh, pescatarians, experts in the field have said to me, look, occasionally, maybe it's Christmas Day, maybe it's Thanksgiving, if you want to have chicken or turkey, if you believe you can do that and you will enjoy it with your family, yeah. do it, it won't kill you. Absolutely, but I there, agree. And then there is a whole other <laughs> side to that, and there's the animal husbandry side of it, and you may have ethical disagreements with that, which I think is a completely separate issue sure. in terms of the pure biological interaction with your body and the potential of that food. Sure. Um, what the Health, you, you mentioned that film, yes. and I mentioned that it's controversial. Sure. What do you think of it? Um, well, I'm on the I'm on the what the health guys side. I think it really opened up a lot of people's eyes. It helped a lot of my friends actually transition from vegetarian to now vegan. And I think that's really, really amazing. Um, I know that I read some things, and this may be what you're talking about, where the stats weren't quite accurate. But in my view, I believe that they were close enough. And the fact that they're, sh- that they're helping people get healthy is really what matters here. I think what, I mean, there were several criticisms. One was that they kind of cherry-picked the facts uh-huh. a little bit to, to suit the argument and right. to suit the cause. And perhaps the other argument was that an opposing view wasn't really given an opportunity to to get involved right. and to, to develop a, a debate in right. that sense, that it was very one-sided. Yeah, and I mean, the filmmakers are making the film that they believe in. And right. so, I, you know, I can't speak to their motivations or anything like that, but I'm making my food film heels and it's going to be about my journey. And so I'm not necessarily going to show both sides of, of everything. I'm just going to say, this is my journey and this is what I've learned and take from it what you will. And so I believe that's what they tried to do. And I know it is controversial and I do understand why some people are up in arms about it. But I feel like, you know, like I said, the best thing that's coming out of it is it's helping people get healthy. And that's my goal, too. So I love it. <laughs> well, you mentioned your film. I was going to talk about it a bit later. Let's talk about it now in sure. terms of what you're making. And uh, you, you, you obviously have now a very successful career in media in terms of production. But is this your first project of this magnitude? Yeah. So I've been making um, films and documentaries and PSAs and commercials and things like that for clients for 12 years now. And it's been so rewarding and I've learned so much. But it's about time that I made my own film. And I've been wanting to make it for so long. And I've been interviewing people for it for a few years and I just haven't actually put it all together yet. And so my really my goal of 2018 is to complete that film and tell my story. And it's tough, you know, because it's talking about my parents and what I went through. And while right now we can have this conversation without tears, when I really go into it, it's very, very deep and very, very hard. And the one time my husband tried to put me on camera, I just started bawling, crying, and it was a wreck. And, you know, he said, well, you know, let's let's use this because it might help someone. And I was like, I look like a <laughs> a mess and so i i but you're being honest you're i'm being, being honest yourself yeah and so i haven't quite figured out how to tell the story in a way that doesn't make me look like a mess but also helps people and so i'm working on that just fully honest in terms of the production side of something like yes. this this is quite a, a big undertaking isn't it it isn't something you would walk into lightly well i I think it is a big undertaking to make a film, 100%. But I do believe because I have experience and I have lots of you know, camera people, I can call it a moment's notice, um, that that's not the scary part. The scary part is me telling my truth. So I'm more scared about 
being vulnerable than I am about hiring the crew and getting the film going and things like that. I have no problem with actually, that. Actually, how the process might affect you. Yeah, exactly. From a personal perspective, yes. having to relive these things. Yes, you got it. Interesting. You nailed it. <laughs> and is there a message that you would like people to come away with from the film? Um, I believe the message is in the title, Food Heals, You Can Heal Your Body. The body, I think I said this earlier, has the innate ability to heal itself. And so we just have to give the body the tools it needs to do so. And so you got to discover what works for you. And so I'm going to present my story and then other people's stories who have also healed themselves. And they all have similar ties, but they're not all the same story. So maybe someone really resonates with Avita's story because she reversed... Um, ovarian cancer. Maybe someone really resonates with Joe Cross's story, who's also in my film from Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. There's someone, hopefully, that you can take something away from, if not from everyone in the film. You started Holistic Voice when you were 26, I believe. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about that. That was um, my original blog, and it was kind of my place to share these stories. This was before I discovered podcasting and before I started the film. Uh, I didn't really know what I was doing with an online business. Everyone said you should have a blog. So, you know, my parents had died at 25. At 26, I was blogging about other people's stories. And so what happened was I was doing this blog, and no one was really reading or paying attention until I started doing the podcast. And that's when everything changed. And that's when my career really took off in this space. And I was able to actually reach people who wanted to listen. Because before that, I was writing a blog that you know no one was reading, maybe a few people. I mean, thank you to my original blog readers. If you're listening, you mean the world to me. But in general, I wasn't making the impact that I wanted to make. And so when I started the podcast, I finally had a voice and a platform to speak to the people that wanted to hear. And share the stories I wanted to share to people who would resonate with them. And so the Food Heals podcast came out of Holistic Voice. And now I haven't updated that blog in so long because <laughs> I'm doing all Food Heals. <laughs> like so many people with yes. their original blogs. Yes, straight up disclosure. That's what we do. <laughs> and in terms of I mean, much of this is getting a message across. It's trying to educate people about what you believe to be true. What is the most in that area? What is the most challenging thing for you to try to persuade people who I think sometimes are just instinctively resistant and don't want to believe what you want to tell them or try to persuade them of because they enjoy or think they enjoy the lifestyle that they have at the moment and why should they change? Yes, I agree with you 100% and I am not trying to persuade anyone and I learned that lesson a long time ago. First when I was trying to persuade my dad and he said, hey, I want to live my life my way. And that was really hard for me. Then, you know, I met my husband trying to persuade him. That doesn't work. That just leads to fights. No one wants to change. You can't change someone else. They have to want to change on their own. So the way I approach it now is I do the podcast. The people that want to listen can listen and be inspired to change. And the people that don't, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to come up to you any, like I used to. I used to be like, oh, did you know that dairy has pus in it? And it's actually linked to uh, cancer and you shouldn't eat that. And they're like mid-Sunday bite. Like, what are you talking about? And so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> good <laughs> yeah so the most challenging thing was really getting that feedback from people that didn't want to hear it feeling defeated and then learning it's not my job and they're not they're they'll come to me when they want to hear it if ever and so I try to speak to the people that want to hear it and the people that don't I don't pressure or push my opinions on at all I, I try not to and in terms of the podcast how has that opened up 
things for you. It's a, it's an entirely different audience, isn't it? Yes, and podcasting really changed any everything for me um, because, like I said, I all of a sudden had this platform, and we started getting responses. So suddenly, people were emailing us and saying, "Can you cover this topic? Oh my God, this helped me. Um, who can I reach out to for this?" So we were getting email responses. We were getting reviews on iTunes where our podcast is, and people were. giving us glowing raving reviews and all of a sudden I realized we had reached people who wanted to hear what we had to say and that was such an incredible feeling when you're like wow now I'm actually helping people and that's the goal here right that's all I wanted to do was help other people and give them the resources that I don't believe my parents had and had they had the resources it's possible I don't know that they could be alive to this day and so it breaks my heart when I hear of a friend or family member who is sick and I just say if there's anything I can do, please let me know. And if they reach out, then I'll, I flood them with information. <laughs> and how has the the learning process been in terms of being a, a podcaster? As I say, very different from traditional media, very different from filmmaking or, or, or even blogging. You have to learn so much, don't you? You have to learn so much. And I'm still learning. We're here at Podcast Movement. I'm learning from everyone I meet. And it's such a fabulous experience. But now that we've been doing it for two years, I do feel like we have a good handle on it. And um, when I commit to something, I fully commit. And so a lot of podcasters begin with a microphone in their laptop. And that is a wonderful way to begin. But the way I began was I transformed my guest house into a fully functioning podcast studio. I bought all the equipment. I set it up. I created an edit bay space for um, editing the podcast. I created a podcast table similar to what we're sitting at here for guests to come in. We got high-end microphones. And I just did it big because then I knew I wouldn't quit. And that's not for everyone. And I definitely spent all my disposable income on that project for a few months. And You're doing it how I do it then. <laughs> as, you, as you can see, we're surrounded here. We're kind of on the road at the moment at yes. this, this event. But if I was back on, in Los Angeles, I'd be doing it as, as you described. Yes, this is a great setup you've got here. I'm really impressed. Yeah, well, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think we kind of see things in, in a similar way that you have to do it properly and you have to be serious about it if, yes. it, if it's going to work. Yes, I agree. So you're podcasting, you're, you're writing, you're speaking publicly. What You're making the film. What's next in terms of your agenda? Is there a big goal that you see in the future that you would like to reach? Yeah, that's a great question. I think finishing the film is a really big goal. I think getting, you know, this is my first year of speaking. So I set a goal at the beginning of the year to get five speaking gigs, and I got seven. So I'm really, really proud of that. So I want to continue that um, journey, my entrepreneurial journey, and hopefully I can reach more people that way. And then the other goal is to finish my book that I've been writing um, since the beginning of the year. So those are the, the goals for now. And the ultimate goal is just to be a place online where anyone can come and get answers and get resources to their questions. So I would love to, and this would take a lot of funding and everything like that, but I would love to have a site where you could come and you could type in, here's the ailment I'm dealing with. And then you could find holistic practitioners in your area who could help you that are verified in some way that we know are actually helping people reverse and prevent disease and things like that. So I want it to be a resource where you could also log in and see other people's stories and become inspired. Because if we're not inspired, we're not going to change. All you can get all the information, but if you don't believe it and it doesn't inspire you, nothing can change, right? And so my really my ultimate goal of my life is to inspire people to know that they can have a miracle. We are doing very similar things. I'm writing a book based on a lot of the interviews that I've done for this podcast. One interesting thing that often strikes me, nearly always strikes me, is how different people from different walks of life will answer the same question in almost exactly the same way 
way in that their vision is the same even though they have different life experiences and wow. different types of families and maybe different dietary or uh-huh. exercise regimes and one question that i ask to try to elicit these kinds of responses is do you think about your own longevity or what do you think about your own health span your own lifespan and do you have a particular goal in mind I mean, I want to be the 100-year-old great-grandma riding her bike to the farmer's market. You know, I'm going to be that lady. That's my goal. And so I want to have children who have children who have children, and I get to see them grow up and have a wonderful family unit and be old. And I might be gray, but I'll be, you know, I'll be running track with the kids or whatever it is that they want to do, playing soccer with them. Like, I I, I want to live an active, long lifestyle, and I do believe it's 100% possible. That's a great answer, and it it is about making the most of the precious years that we have. And let's face it, they move past very quickly, don't they? Uh, Yes, they do move past. And I know it's cliche to say, but the older I get, the more I'm like, wait a minute, how did that year just go by? It's so true. (laughs) And do you always practice what you preach? Do I always? I always practice what I preach. Maybe preach is the wrong word, because I don't think you are a preacher. I try not to be. (laughs) You've You've made that very clear. Yeah. But we obviously you have certain beliefs about what is good for you yes do you ever slip up i never slip up in terms of i'll never eat meat again um i'm 100 percent no problem with that have i had a little chocolate that had dairy in it absolutely i'm not perfect i for me veganism is a goal but like you know i have leather shoes and things like that i no longer buy those products but i still have those products and that's against the ethos of veganism and things like that so do i slip up things like that. Absolutely. I'm not perfect. Do I skip my meditation sometimes? Of course I do. I'm a human being. I fail. Do I skip my gratitude journal? Do I skip my smoothie sometimes? Yes. But then you better know it the next day. I'm like greens all day to make up for it. So of course I slip up. I'm human. And what's the biggest obstacle you find in everyday life? Perhaps the things that make you slip up. Maybe it isn't always your fault that you do something that you wouldn't otherwise want to do. As you go through life, maybe other people people's attitudes, the the, the, the society that we live in. What are the obstacles? Well, I suffered from depression after my parents died, and that will come and go. And I really do believe I'm on a healing path out of that. And sometimes, you know, some days are harder than others. So I have their birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. And those are the days, and it may not even be a certain date, um, but there are days when I wake up and I'm just depressed and I'm sad because I miss my mom and dad. And so those are the times when it's the toughest. And I try to get myself out of it. And I have the tools that I've learned because I've been through multiple you know, healing modalities for this. I do tapping. Um, I've done therapy. I, sometimes it's just taking a walk, loving, playing with my dogs, getting out of the house because we all know if we are in any kind of depressed state, Staying inside is the worst thing you can do because it just <laughs> makes sunlight you... is great. Yes, exactly. You mentioned tapping. Yes, um, it's a form of therapy where you're tapping on various meridians and it calms you and it helps take away the pain of a certain memory. So you can tap on memories, um, you can tap on feelings, you can tap on emotions. And where physically do you tap? Um, I'm not an expert on this, but you you're gonna start at the top of your head, and then you go side of the eye, then you go under the nose, and then you go chin, and then you go chest armpit, and then start over. And these are certain acupressure meridian points that help stimulate parts of the body that help you then remove that, you know, emotion from a situation. It's incredible. I, I feel like I sound woohoo and I'm not explaining it as <laughs> I was going to say, where's the science behind this? Yes. Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. But I can tell you from my experience, from a healing of 
memories and depression perspective, it's very powerful. And it's, I guess it's one of those things, if it works for you. It works for me. Yes, exactly. And so like we're taught, everything we talk about, you have to experiment on yourself, be your own guinea pig, see what works for you. If this tapping thing sounds far out and crazy, then absolutely don't do it, but find something else. Do you enjoy being, I, I often do this, I'm a, a human guinea pig and have taken part in uh, very sort of science-based projects, clinical trials, and I love it. Oh, wow. I love the measurements. I love yeah. the graphs. I love learning things about myself that maybe at the beginning I didn't want to believe, but yeah. then you see the data and you've kind of got to believe it. Yeah. It's, it's fun, isn't it? It's very interesting. That's what happened to me after I went to the functional medicine doctor and I had all the charts and graphs that were telling me the percents of supplements and minerals that were in my body and what I was missing. It was incredible to see that data. And of course, one of the, the problems with healthcare and medicine, especially in this country, is that that kind of data collection just doesn't exist mm-hmm. in terms of everyday healthcare. Right. Um, the system couldn't support it financially. Right. And that's so unfortunate. And, you know, it can be expensive to go to these doctors. And that's where where it actually breaks my heart, um, because a lot of people are priced out of these options. And that's got to change. Because if you know what your your health issues are, you can then begin to heal them. The problem is, and both of my parents can't cases. They were all of a sudden diagnosed with stage four cancer. Why wasn't this discovered earlier when they were both going to regular doctor visits all of the time? Had they been going to something like functional medicine, this could not, they would have been diagnosed in stage one. So it is pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. And I I guess that's what motivates you, isn't it? Yes. That's what gets you out of bed in the morning to then meditate for an hour and a half before you're... <laughs> switching your phone on or whatever. But if I were to ask you, what drives you? What drives you every day? I think it's a combination of those memories and your experience and the everyday, just how you feel. Yeah, passion. I have such a passion for this. If I didn't, um, if I didn't express this, I believe I meant to do this. And that's the passion that drives me. And if I didn't express it and I suppressed it and tried to do something else because I thought society said I needed to do this and holistic health was too woohoo and people weren't going to listen, then I would be crushing my spirit and I wouldn't live to 100 because I would fall into depression. So it's just passion. Alison, this has been a great conversation. Thank you very much. How do people get in touch with you and how do they listen to the podcast? Sure. We're on iTunes. We're at foodhealsnation.com. We are at Food Heals Nation on all social media channels. You can always shoot me an email if you have any questions at info at foodhealsnation.com. Alison, best of luck with the film. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. I can't oh, wait to read your book. Excellent. It's a deal. Alison Melody, thank you very much indeed. And a reminder that there are lots of ways you can listen to us. We're on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play Music. Our website is llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. You can get in touch from there or via one of our social sites. We're at Llama Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Peter Bowes and I would love to hear from you. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time.
Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.